Sometimes our listeners demand more nuance than we think we might be capable of. Today, we're going to try to meet the challenge by discussing the pros and cons of the remaining candidates for president. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. First, in this episode, we're going to start with a message from our sponsor. So thanks for joining us for another episode. We have several things to talk about in the pearls before we dive into the suit, which is going to be a tough one for us today, but we've worked really hard on it and hope that we can approach the remaining candidates in a nuanced way. 
So in the race, uh, the last group of primaries that happened, Trump and Clinton swept their respective parties' uh, contests. But we wanted to hit on a couple of down-ballot results, and this is a follow-up to some discussions that we've had. So Chris Van Hollen won in Maryland in a race that, Sarah, you've described as an embarrassment of riches. Yeah. Well, I don't. I, as I read more of it after we talked about it... Um... It looked like his opponent, Donna, and I can't remember, I'm blanking on her last name right Edwards, now. I think. Donna Edwards, yeah. Um, you know, used some unfortunate campaign tactics that didn't really fit what my what my my memory of her was when I, my time working in Maryland. But again, Chris Van Hollen is so great, so he'll do a great job. And then Jamie Raskin won the primary Yay! to uh, replace Chris Van Hollen. Which pretty much he won because it's like a strongly Democratic <laughs> um, district. So I don't think he'll have much of a challenger in the general. But, yeah, I'm really excited about that. He is a really smart, incredibly capable, thoughtful guy. So he'll do a great job. I'm really excited that he's going to Congress. This was an incredibly expensive primary for the House. And Raskin's opponent spent something like $12.4 million dollars. So I think this is an interesting follow-up to our election mm-hmm. reform episode, just showing that like the old playbook, I think, is going out the window, and well, we might yeah. be able to hit some of these campaign finance issues, you know, without a ton of regulation. It's just the voters are have had it. I mean, I think we have to acknowledge, and I think this has always been true. I always talk about uh, Forbes that ran for president like fifty times. Money can definitely help, no doubt about it, but it doesn't buy you a likable candidate. Like there has to be other things going on, and it has to be. You know, they can't buy you out of a moment in time in which your candidacy doesn't just doesn't can't get any legs. Like there's a lot of things that money can do, but it can't do everything. So the next stop in the presidential primary is Indiana. We are recording this episode before Indiana votes. Um, I drove through Indiana twice uh, last week on my way to Chicago and back. Saw a lot of Donald Trump signs, I'm not going to lie to you. Huh. Um, and he is leading in the polls, although some polls show it much tighter with Ted Cruz than others. So that'll be an interesting race. I think the most important spot left on the Democratic side is California, although you kind of heard Bernie Sanders this weekend starting to acknowledge that his mathematical path forward is pretty tough. So I think he is not returned to, but but somewhat returned to being an issues candidate, right? Yeah, he's, I mean, he's in he's here for like, his message. Yeah, he's laying off staff and he's talking about we're going to get to the the convention so that we can keep talking about these issues. I think he knows there's no really path to the nomination. It was well fought. He did a great, uh, great job. We had some, we'll talk about this more in the suit, the importance of his candidate, but I'm pretty psyched that my girl is cruising to the nomination now. In other parts of the world, we have some things going on that are noteworthy and that I think could impact this race. Although, you know, the way that I would think they'd impact this race uh, is probably off, given just everything that's happened so far. But um, for the first time in 10 years, the Chinese government refused to allow a United States naval ship to make a routine port call in Hong Kong. That's kind of a big deal. 
And this seems to have happened because of comments from Ash Carter, our Secretary of Defense. He has been criticizing China recently for its island building campaigns in the South China Sea. This is a major area of trade. I think I saw something like $5 trillion of trade happens in the, the South China Sea. And China has taken over most of the islands there and like put in military grade runways and port facilities. So uh, Secretary Carter and there, there's a lot of dispute going on between China and the Philippines about some of these islands. Secretary Carter has been critical of China. And so China refused to let this ship come to port. And now <laughs> this is just classic like international affairs. But now the United States is, quote, reassessing an invitation to China to take part in a multinational naval exercise that's going to happen off the coast of Hawaii next month. Well, and they also, China shut down sort of in an effort to impose a, bun- a lot of greater control. It seems like a movement that's going on in China generally. They they let out those new laws that are restricting NGOs over the weekend. There's like 7,000 foreign non-government groups will be affected by these laws restricting what they can do um, in China. And I think the markets were sort of responding to it. I think everybody's seeing this as a tightening grip by the Chinese government on its society and on um, sort of outside and Western influence. And it's hard to understand how much of that motivation is economic and how much isn't, you know, because China has been struggling economically, value of its currency is falling. Um, And then how much is a reaction to our politics? You know, I I don't this um, refusal of the ship took place before these comments. But, you know, you had Donald Trump out this weekend talking about China raping the United States. I mean, it's not particularly helpful, I would think, to the relationship between our countries. So there's a lot to watch here. It's certainly a complex relationship, the kind of thing that makes me wish John Huntsman were on the national stage right now, because I think he could at least start to explain some of these issues to the American people in a way that we could get our heads around and and try to formulate some intelligent policy. Hmm. Did you see that he was, he endorsed Cruz, didn't he? Well, the the big news about John Huntsman this weekend was that he called for people to unite behind Trump oh. and said that Trump is it's time to put together a winning coalition. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. Somebody tweeted it to you. I was getting him confused with something I read about um, Bush. Right. So. So, yeah, Bush uh, was critical of Trump over the weekend, said he isn't conservative. Huntsman talked about how Trump has the ability to put together a non-traditional voting block and there's been enough infighting in the party and it's time to move forward, which was painful for me because you know that I'm a big Huntsman fan. But I think there are two things going on here. You know, Huntsman is pragmatic and I would imagine unwilling to get behind Ted Cruz, which I respect and appreciate. And I also think that this is a decision that a lot of Republicans are going to have to make on whether they can support Hillary Clinton, because that's kind of your option, right? Like at this point, you either have to say, no, we're going to unite behind Trump or I'm going to vote for Hillary Clinton. That's what Bush said, though. Didn't Bush call for a contested convention? Yes. Yes. But um, doesn't that seem like a pipe dream at this point? I Uh, I just don't think there's going to be a contested convention. I mean, is there any possibility that even if he gets to the, what is it, 1260? 1237. 1237, that there are delegates that can still vote the way they want? Well, there are 
There are some unbound delegates on the Republican side, but it is nothing like the ability of superdelegates on the Democratic side to sway the results. I really think that if he hits that 1237, it's over on the first ballot. Trump is starting now to get some of the unbound delegates as well. He he picked up a number of people in Pennsylvania. Um, we'll see what happens in Indiana. Indiana, I think, is going to be very... Uh, decisive in this race. If Trump wins Indiana, I do not think there is any prayer of a contested convention going Mm -hmm. forward. Interesting. All right, well, let's move on to compliment the other side. I have what I believe is a particularly nuanced choice this week, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) So I am going to compliment Tim Kaine. Um, despite my uh, knee-jerk skepticism about his remarks, because he is obviously on the short list of people uh, believed to be in the in the running for Hillary Clinton's vice presidential candidate. Um, so putting all of that aside, I really have appreciated Tim Kaine's remarks urging Congress to authorize the use of military force against ISIS. And I think he's absolutely right that uh, folks on both sides of the aisle would rather sit back and criticize the president than go on the record Mm -hmm. in authorizing force to take ISIS on. I think if we're going to do it, we should do it, right? And, And our Congress should be behind it. And we've been way too casual about the war powers. And so I appreciate Tim Kaine's comments on this. I think it's a tough issue to speak out on, and I I think he's dead on. Okay. Mine is a little more light. (laughs) (laughs) I'm choosing John Boehner. We all heard the amazing comment where he called Ted Cruz a miserable son of a bitch, which, despite being probably accurate, was really funny. Um, also, I really liked his participation in Barack Obama's correspondence dinner video. He did Barack Obama really slayed at the correspondence dinner. It was just sort of him and his best kind of confident, but humble and lots of Michelle Obama's better than me jokes, which I always enjoy. Uh, there was a lot of actually Michelle Obama is ready to get out of here jokes, which I thought were even funnier. <laughs> and, um... But they did this little video thing where he's like, what am I going to do when I retire? So he's like talking to Joe Biden. He's pol- Joe Biden's polishing his aviator glasses. And then he goes to John um, Boehner and is like, you know, what should I do? You know, what I, you, you're facing this. What am, or you face this. What am I supposed to do? And they're like sitting in the White House movie theater watching Toy Story. And John Boehner offers him a cigarette. His eyes get real big because, you know, he's a smoker. He's been chewing nicotine gum apparently. Um, it was just, it was very, I thought... Um, showed a great sense of humor on his part. And I just loved, I just like seeing people from both sides being together like human beings. It was nice. I hate that it ha- takes them retiring to act like that, but I thought it was really great. So Sarah, um, we'll just lob up a softball for you. You want to start off by telling us what you think is important about the candidacy of Hillary Clinton? Um, I think all the things are important about the presidency Oh, I'm sorry. Candidacy. <laughs> Keep it nuanced, Sarah. Of Hillary Clinton. Um, I'm not nuanced when it comes to her. So I'll, I'll tell you what I told somebody this weekend um, when they were sort of there was a skeptical conservative who was absolutely not going to vote for Donald Trump. And I was doing my pitch, which is and I think she's gotten better at making this pitch, too, which is she doesn't come across great as a candidate because she's not a great campaigner. Um, she's not her husband. But. She is, I think she'll be a fantastic leader. And I think this campaign, I guess probably what I can really speak to in a nuanced way is how much better this campaign 
was since when 2008, when I worked for, I think she has become so much more comfortable at being a candidate and really acknowledging where she does, like where she's not great at it, which I think makes her better, makes her a better candidate. So I think that she's had a lot of growth this time and she's good at presenting her strengths, which is that she's hardworking. She's qualified, you know, that whole I'll fight for you, but also sort of when appropriate embracing lighthearted moments and showing people who she really is while still kind of keeping that, that control. I know that I know she has to have it because she's a female candidate, but um, obviously the importance of Hillary Clinton's candidacy overall is that we're about to have the first woman presidential candidate, of a major party in the history of our country. Let's just all take a moment to reflect on that. It's 2016 and she's about to crack that ultimate glass ceiling. So the importance of her candidacy historically, I don't think can be underrated. And I think she's grown as a candidate in a more, when you're talking about her specifically, her, her as a candidate specifically. And I'm just, as Barack Obama said in the correspondence center, I still his joke at one point. He said, "You know, in a year it'll be somebody else from a year it'll be somebody else standing up from standing up in front of y'all." You know, it's best guess who she will be. So, we're ex- I'm excited. Well, I think I agree that the pro for me of Hillary Clinton's candidacy is that there is a woman in this position finally being taken seriously. I think it's great that this is a woman who is experienced in foreign policy. Like she has sort of the the chops that a woman might historically be criticized on, you know, so I, I like that. I like how hardworking she is. It's clear that she takes everything very seriously. She does her homework. She knows what she's talking about. And I think that's a good example for women everywhere. And I think it's a good um, representation to men that women are incredibly capable. And and I also like, and this is maybe less nuanced, but I'm happy that this comes from a woman who does have a child. That Mm -hmm. is to take nothing away from women who'd make a choice not to have children. But it's comforting to me that our first female president has had a family as well and and has a daughter to whom she seems very close. I I think it helps knock down the narrative that you can't do it all because she has done it all and, and good for her. Yeah. Okay. That's always my, my argument about the Clintons is, um, you know, you can say what you want, but their daughter turned out pretty dang good. You can always look to people's kids. I think, um, harder question. uh, (laughs) Well, this, I have an answer. I wish that Hillary Clinton was more like Barack Obama in that there was this, there was, we didn't have to battle for better or for worse, you know, a long history of scandals and um, gates of all manner and type. I don't think the reason I hesitate so much speaking about those is for so, for so many of them I just don't think they're her quote unquote fault. I think a lot of it is the way you know as a female candidate and just people's baggage about the Clintons. Um, they invented this, and I think the Clintons and took longer to learn really the lessons the Obamas did, which is you know you just have to be twice as clean and twice as careful as anybody else, but. I wish I wish that it was more like that. I wish she didn't carry as much baggage. I wish there wasn't um, this perception that she's always trying to keep things from people. So 
as far as the con of her candidacy, I think the the long history and the baggage is definitely a big one. Yeah, I view that as a negative also, and I really feel that she never takes responsibility for any of that, and that drives me crazy. The lack of transparency bothers me, and since you kind of stole my thunder on some of those issues, because those were my notes too, I will add that it is unclear to me what the message of the Hillary Clinton campaign is beyond the fact that she's going to be an advocate for women. I think that her campaign has, you know, you could, it's two sides of the same coin because in one way she's been uh, very adept at sort of shifting positions as she has needed to. I think some issues she's genuinely evolved on. I think others she has, you know, tried to kind of adopt the the mood of the public at particular times. But it's hard for me to articulate, like, what is President Clinton, what does she really care about? And and I know that her supporters would take great issue with that and, and create a laundry list, which is fine. And I don't believe that you need to be a single issue candidate. Uh, but, but it has been hard throughout this cycle to figure out, like, wh- what is the point here other than and, and not to take anything away from it, but other than that that breaking of the glass ceiling, where are we going with with a President Clinton? Well, and I think that what's always what I always struggle with is I understand the motivation for why they're so careful, because the second she apologizes for anything, as much as it would feel authentic to some people, it would be like blood in the water to others. And I know that's their motivation to carefully control those types of things. You know, she can't win. It doesn't matter what she does for with certain people. So, you know, I think that's part of it. Well, that's sort of the exact reason that I think there's an issue um, with millennials. I think there are lots of reasons that the gender gap among women have been, has been exposed here. Um, but one of them feels to me like the Clinton campaign has been playing by the old rules. And I think what millennials want is to see a woman win under new rules, right? Yeah. I think and, – and I sympathize with this. I mean, you and I have talked about we're both right on the edge of, of the millennial generation and identify strongly with parts of it. It would be very refreshing to have a woman who isn't isn't so suspicious, isn't so calculating. Um, even though that has been necessary to this point, I think what everyone wants is to turn the page on that completely, right? And mm-hmm. so – I don't know. I guess another thing to put in the pro column here about her candidacy is that those conversations are happening. And that's really important. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the importance of the conversation surrounding gender, particularly as compared to 2008, are huge. I think she feels much more confident um, and, and comes across as much more confident speaking and saying, no, I'm treated unfairly certain times. We can all talk about this. I mean, the woman card thing. I got my woman card. Don't worry. It's in the mail to me. I donated. Um, is a good example of that. I think it people – and honestly, we've come a long way in just eight years on our discussions regarding gender and women in politics. And I think the, the differences between her campaigns then and now reflect that. I think there have been some fantastic pieces of journalism about the woman card and and taking Donald Trump's remarks that that's all she has going for her and and kind of showing the ridiculousness of them. I I continue to be troubled by 
sort of overplaying identity politics. I think they're important. You know, we did an entire episode on that. Um, I, 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 what I don't want to happen is for this election and this conversation to become a caricature of a really important discussion. I think you might need to let that go in a campaign that involves Donald Trump. Well, that's fair that caricatures are going to be dominant. But and and in some ways, you know, a lot of the public looks at this at what seems to be our general election matchup now and says, boy, I don't like either. You know, we couldn't have two more supervillains sort of in this race. And and so there are a lot of risk. But oh, it's I guess because the the woman's issue is is personal and precious to me. I really hate to see that become um, over-dramatized in a way that is in the long term not helpful. But let's move on to Bernie Sanders. So what would you say is the pro of the Sanders candidacy? Bernie Sanders has brought an incredibly important issue and incredibly important concerns among a wide variety of Democrats and Americans generally to the forefront. And that cannot be taken away from him, no matter what happens or what seemingly is going to happen coming, coming forward. His ability to make this populist argument, to prove the popularity of the populist argument. Um, he's always been good at it. He's always been good at making that argument. I, you know, I've said repeatedly that every time he'd come on dying room, I'd turn it up and think, Oh, what if somebody like that could just say these things on a national level? And then he did. He stood up on one of the world's biggest stage and said, a lot of us feel like the system is rigged. And he, that definitely connected with a huge group of Americans. And that, you know, that was just, I think that the importance of that cannot be underrated. So I think that Sanders has done a nice job walking the walk in terms of how he's funded his campaign. And he has raised and spent a lot of money through small donations. And so I think in one respect, he's proven that you can do this differently and in a way that feels less icky than what we were talking about in our election reform episode. The other thing that I think is important about the Sanders campaign is the engagement that it's brought about people who have maybe maybe are new to politics or maybe have felt disenfranchised have warmed to him for a lot of reasons that as a Republican, I understand. I don't agree with the the policies of any of it, but I really respect the way that he has run this campaign. I really respect his ideological consistency. Um, and, and I think he's done a great job and will ultimately shape American politics for a long time in some positive ways. Absolutely. So the con of Bernie Sanders campaign is I think the way in which he um, motivated those groups that you're talking about unfortunately was a very, um, at times negative and ultimately damaging way. I think to motivate people out of frustration and anger is very different than what Obama did in 2004 and 2008, which is to motivate people from this very hope and change and very optimistic angle. And I think ultimately, unfortunately, many of Bernie Sanders supporters are going to be, um, this is going to be their one time, right? They're going to get involved. They're going to feel like, well, he said the system was rigged. He was right. It still was rigged. He couldn't get ahead. I'm done forever. And I think that's really unfortunate. I really wish that he had, could have shifted his message to a more optimistic, let me show you some other ways that you can affect change. It's not just about 
making sure that I'm the candidate for presidency. We have other avenues um, to, to exert change and to make a difference. And I hope that moving forward, he finds a better way to, to kind of convince these people because I'm really afraid so many of them will just be completely turned off because it was a very um, negative motivation many of the time, much of the time. I think there are optimists among the Sanders supporters for sure. And that then that saw that as problem recognition about as honesty about a problem that hasn't existed before. You know, so I, I think that certainly some people are motivated by the anger that you suggest. But I but I do want to kind of give a shout out to the Sanders supporters who listen to us, because I think most of them are coming from a more positive place, although it has been a tough run for them anyway. Um, my con of the Sanders candidacy, and this is completely motivated by sort of my personal politics, and I'll um, be very honest about that. I'm worried that we're starting to throw the baby out with the bathwater when we demonize corporations, big business and financial services. You know, when I did the primer before our trade episode, I talked about the fact that the reason that the trade deficit isn't just killing the American economy is because we are a service economy now and we are we are exporting financial services, right? We are a place that um, everyone wants to invest their money. And there are good things about that. Understanding that there have there has been unspeakable greed on Wall Street, that there have been choices made that were completely selfish and detrimental to all Americans. Understanding that a service economy does tend to um, increase the gap between people of means and people of fewer means. Um, There are problems. And I think he talks about those problems in a compelling way. But I think it goes one step too far um, to say that we shouldn't have the big banks. You know, I'm just not sure that that's realistic today. And even if it were realistic, I'm not sure that it's desirable because there is a positive component to big business. A lot of people um, have a livelihood because of big business in our country. And I just don't I'm worried that the language and sort of the policies and the passion behind these issues could steer us down a path where we've we've really let go of some of the things we have going for us as a country. And I get very frustrated by the comparisons to Western Europe. So I think about like Finland, which is the my favorite country I've ever visited. Lots of women in government in Finland, you know, great social programs. It's clean. It's beautiful. There are wonderful things about Finland. And so you say, why can't we be like that? Well, Finland is not even as big as California. So you can't just pick up what applies in a completely different geography and scoot it over to a country like the United States. You you know, so I just think there's some... uh, lack of realism about that. And I'm not trying to say that in in a way where I'm saying the Sanders supporters are naive. None of that is meant to be critical about them. It's just to say, let us all take a moment to consider what we really are looking for here. And if what we're really looking for is more economic justice, then what does that require? But I don't think we should just immediately say all big business is bad for our country. There's also selective... Um, information that people use when they talk about um, Nordic countries like Sweden and Finland. The other reality of countries like Sweden and Finland is that they have like one or two 
corporations who exert a huge amount of influence over their policy because they are so small and because these corporations are like, you know, 30% of their uh, gross domestic product. I mean, like, how much influence do you think Ikea has in Sweden? Probably a lot. It's not a big country and Ikea is a massive global um, corporation. Right. So I think there's also sort of um, a desire to kind of select what we like about those countries and not acknowledging that many of the quote-unquote problems we think we have, they have similar situations. And maybe that's not the entirety of what's holding us back from achieving paid family leave and these things that we admire and love about those countries. Before we move on to the Republican side, let's hear another word from our awesome new sponsor, Pictly. So here at Pantsu Politics, we love Pictly, a photo app that lets you send beautifully framed photo gifts to your loved ones. So since I've started talking... Beth is going to show you how easy it is to do Pictly. She's going to download the app, pick a picture and a frame, and type in an address picked from her contacts. Pictly is so smart. It like gets in your address book and gets the address for you, all within this minute spot in which I'm telling you how great Pictly is. How far are you, Beth? So I've already downloaded. I'm selecting a photo right now. I'm telling you, there's a wide selection of frames. It's fantastic. And Pictly is offering Pantsuit Politics listeners 10% off using the promo Pantsuit Politics or going to the website, pictly.com. So you have to check it out. Where are you at, Beth? So I've got it. I've got the photo chosen and my frame picked, and I'm just about to check out. Do you see how easy this is, guys? In a minute, this beautifully framed photo gift shows up in your friend or family's mailbox, and you seem like the most thoughtful person on the planet. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your Wild Grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. 
looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life, Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day, Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Well, so let's talk about Ted Cruz, and I'll go first because this was the hardest one for me to come up <laughs> with something nice to say. Um, so what I will say is that I think Ted Cruz has done a powerful job illustrating the real divide in the Republican Party, and I think the exposure of that divide in the long term will promote a healthy conversation about whether there still needs to be a Republican Party, what that mm-hmm. looks like, whether there whether there are two parties happening here that really need to break apart. But Ted Cruz is such an illustration of socially conservative people um, who are nationalist in many ways and who are really driven by social conservatism more than fiscal conservatism, right? And so I think that's an important gap to realize because I'll tell you, you know, in sort of the circles that I live and work in, everyone's sentiment is like, gosh, if we could just drop the social stuff, you know, mm-hmm. all of us would be Republican. <laughs> so many more of us would be Republican. You could just let the the social stuff go. And Ted Cruz shows that there are a lot of people still rallying around that social side. And that is very different than the reason people like me are Republicans. So I I think it's good to expose that. What I think is interesting about Ted Cruz, I mean, I think we we need to give him props for what he's done well. He's he's got a good ground game. He's got... Um, a lot of that going on. So I think that's important. He's de- he's He's been smart about it. You can say what you want about Ted Cruz. He's not stupid. Um, so I think that he has done well at things like that. What I, The other thing I think is interesting about what you just said, what I think Ted Cruz's candidacy has done, I'm not sure it's positive for anybody involved, but um, like you said, at least it's, it's exposing some of the divisions between the Republican Party, which is that I wonder, I feel like it's sort of two sides of the same coin. I feel what I hear a lot of actual Republican politicians who work with Ted Cruz say is that he is, you know, he's a, what is, uh, the son of Lucifer. He's a miserable son of a bitch. And so I think that the idea that he is um, this inauthentic, guy that they don't feel like they can trust at the same time these are the people who often run on socially conservative issues who say 
life is all that matters. And this is what, you know, these socially conservative things, we're defending the American values. And when they get a candidate who on paper arguably stands up for all these things and whose voters are responding to this message, I think what it's really saying is maybe they're not being authentic in some way. And maybe they want authenticity, but in one way and not another. And that more than you expect sort of establishment conservatives are just sort of feel like you, like maybe the socially conservative stuff's not actually important to them, which really exposes a hypocrisy. But it seems to me like if, if socially social conservative values were so, you know, so important, then more people would be lining up behind Ted Cruz instead of calling him a son of Lucifer. I totally agree with that. I mean, I think that, I think that's a lot of what I was trying to articulate that, Republicans have been trying to put together this coalition of people who really don't have that much in common. Yeah. You know, and and I think that where more establishment candidates, to use that term that we're so sick of, have been trying to sort of wink and nod to the social issues, but be moderate enough on them to not alienate other people. You know, here we have this guy who just lays all that bare. Mm -hmm. And so that would be my con as well. You know, I think that he does... Um, having this powerful podium for Ted Cruz has allowed into the mainstream a lot more open ugliness about social issues than I think is good for the country. Certainly in a way, you know, I think it's terrible for the party, but I think it's not good for the country either. Well, and I think when you said that, when they, when you said that he, you know, so often there's like winking at social conservatives and listen, I might not agree with social conservatives, but they're not stupid either. I think they were tired of that. I think I that the, the response to Ted Cruz is, you know, we're noticing that you guys say these things and nothing happens. And yeah. I think that all of the, you know, all of this sort of social conservative back and forth illustrates that it's just not in the same way that sort of what I was talking about with Sanders, like motivating people based on fear and anger is just n- never a good strategy for the future of your party. If you want to inspire leadership that really gets people out to vote and you want to build coalitions that last, I just don't know if like, you know, fear of the other is the best strategy. Well, opposite end of the spectrum is John Kasich, who I have to give big props for, for calling for more unity and problem solving and civility in the race. I mean, he's really tried to be the grown up in the room um, in a way that I have found compelling. Obviously, I'm in a minority. You know, it's it's never gotten traction. And we could debate for days whether that's because of the media environment or Trump's celebrity, whatever. Kasich's track record of being kind of grumpy before he got into this race tr- and then suddenly being Mr. Optimist. But whatever it is, I'll take it because someone needed to stand up and say, hey, guys, let's calm down. Let's be adults. Let's talk about the issues. Not Let's not engage in all this personal nonsense. So um, I think his campaign has been a bright spot in an otherwise abysmal Republican primary. Um, my pro about Kasich is, yeah, I think he was trying to do something admirable. I think he was trying to be positive and I really liked him on the circus when he was like sort of telling his bad jokes. He seemed like a generally likable person. Um, but shifting rapidly to my con, <laughs> I don't feel like, you know, I was just reading an article about him that he hired one of the same consultants. Um, I think it was, was it Huntsman? Does he have same one of the same consultants? 
It's the possible. Same. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure he does. And they said a good point. It's, it's the, their optimism is very, the way they, they sort of do this is very sort of condescending. I know it's best, y'all. And that doesn't work. You can't be like that. Voters don't want to be talked down to. And he did have this sort of interesting mix of, listen, ever crazy, all you crazy dumb people like in Trump, you really need to listen to me because I'm smarter. And it, that's never going to appeal. And I think that's sort of why he never had legs. I, I don't think it fit his, like you said, his sort of previous reputation. I think he's much more conservative than he lets on, which wouldn't be hard standing next to Cruz. But... Um, to appear, I'm sorry, to appear less, to appear more moderate than you are. So I, I think that ultimately it's, again, you have to have this authenticity. And the more I think back on Kasich, it appealed at the time because it was so different than Cruz and Trump. But at the end of the day, I just don't think it was authentic to who he is. Yeah, I think he seems out of touch and a little yesteryear. Yeah. You know, like he's of another era. I think that especially comes to the forefront in his comments about women, which I don't think are malicious in any way, but are certainly out of touch. Yeah. Um, this is, you know, this has been a tough cycle and, and just for me personally, a tough month or so of hearing people talk about women in ways that I think, even though not malicious, like, can we just get past this, you know? And um, I've thought a lot about your comments that you don't want a president who needs to be coached on gender issues. And um, I I agree with that. Now, that does not, for me, mean that Hillary Clinton is the answer. But I, I do think that there is a massive problem in the Republican Party and and it has to be fixed if this party is ever to win another presidential election. Well, and maybe the pros we shouldn't forget before we move on past Kasich and Cruz is uh, it was a big field and they're still here. So props. Yeah. And that's particularly true about Kasich, right? He yeah. has hung in despite not raising much money, despite not winning many delegates, despite the entire conservative um media criticizing him all along the way. You know, the never Trump people had a good option in front of them and they never took it, but he didn't succumb to those forces. So you, so you do have to give him an unbelievable amount of credit for hanging in there. I mean, I'm not sure I'd like it if I was a citizen of Ohio, but again, props. So now for the most challenging of all, perhaps, um, we're going to find the pros in the Trump campaign. So I'll start with that. Um, first of all, I am happy that we have someone doing well in the Republican Party who's not a social conservative. Mm. You know, I think Donald Trump shows that fewer people care about socially conservative issues than we've been made to believe over the past few years. And I think that's great. I think there is something to be said. You talk about authenticity. You know, here we have a guy who just says what's on his mind. And I think that is refreshing. And I think it is important. I think he's also done campaign finance differently and that that's good. So this is another person who's promoted a lot of engagement, whether that's lasting or not. I don't know. But I am glad that people who have felt disenfranchised and left behind are feeling like they have a candidate who's in it for them. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think there's even issues beyond social conservatism that he's exposed what's been simmering underneath. I think trade is a good example. I mean, I think that his he's exposed that there are many Americans that just aren't on board and feel left behind by these trade agreements. And, you know, the, the interest we've talked about this in our trade issue, the way that both parties have sort of gone back and forth was a precursor to this. But he really... Um, expose the that there are a lot of issues that Republicans 
are not listening to their base. Now, the debate about the base and whether you want to you want to sort of feed what these people want is another an, another episode, I suppose. But yeah, I mean, I think Trump exposed a lot about the Republican Party and exposed a lot about our media environment. Uh, not to keep going back to Obama at the Correspondence Center, but he also did a really funny bit where he was like. Basically, like, this is your fault. Like, you did not, he said, made a joke, like, basically, you really gave him the, all the attention he deserved based on the seriousness of his candidacy. And so I feel like, you know, it's scary, but I do think it's a pro that he's shown that you don't, it's a, in a weird way, like, he's shown you don't really need the traditional media, but he's also shown, shown how expertly he can exploit the traditional media and how he can get attention for things that he should not, that are not news. Like, even now, I just was clicking on CNN. It was like, breaking news. Obama talks about uh, Indiana primary. That is not breaking news. He spoke. That's not breaking news. But I think as far as what he's shown about our media environment, there, I mean, there are absolutely lessons to be learned. That's for sure. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies. So we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, 
has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Shower Head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy Filtered Shower Head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. So the the big con, if I am to distill all the cons into one con for me, <laughs> it, it would be that I think we have taken a gigantic step back in terms of our level of respect for one another mm-hmm. in this process. You know, everything that our podcast is about, Donald Trump is the antithesis of, right? There is no nuance. There is no room for debate. He doesn't have time for political correctness. All of those things that have resonated with people really, really trouble me and I think in the long term are dangerous and bad for us. Absolutely. I don't want to belabor that. (laughs) The cons about Donald Trump is that he is a racist and he is a sexist and he has shown that there are lots of people out there who are racist and who are sexist and want someone to say that out loud and are tired of having to be careful about the fact that they're racist and sexist. But you know what you should have to be careful about the fact that you're racist and sexist. It's a problem. So I think that he has shown to many of us how many people um, have felt left behind by the path that our country has been taking more accepting of sexualities and of gender differing gender roles and different races and different cultures. And I think we need to have an honest discussion with each other about what to do about that because ignoring it and sort of just pretending like everything is okay and everyone's on board with not being racist and sexist is not working because clearly there are some people that are not okay without, with being not racist and sexist. And that's Donald Trump appeals to them for that for some reason. But and I think he's laid I think I guess that's my my con, although, you know, I'm an optimist. I think there's always an ability to learn. And and truthfully, I don't think he invented these things, right? The truth is in throughout American history there's been people who want to blame others for their for, you know, you know, sort of this uh, the others, the the fear of the others. This is what's wrong with America. And was, Donald Trump didn't invent that. That's been around for a very long time and will probably continue to be around for a very long time. But I think he's shown it to us in a way that is difficult to ignore and to get this close to the presidency um running on that kind of fear is is scary and we really need to look hard and and have an honest conversation about how we move forward from that. Well, thank you to Michael and Sierra for the challenge of this topic. Um, I'm kind of looking forward to getting back to a topic next week that is divorced from the race because uh, this has just been an exhausting one. And all of these things that have been laid bare by it are important, uh, but also make my head hurt a little bit. So next week, we're going to talk about the Affordable Care Act and would love to hear from you between now and then if there are particular aspects of the Affordable Care Act that you'd like more information on, because that is a a behemoth that we are going to try to do some justice to. And we will move on to a much lighter note from here in the heels. 
So, Sarah, you wanted to talk about the Enneagram in the heels today? Yes. Um, I've done a deep dive into personality test recently. I've been doing this really cool program called the Upstream Field Guide with a blogger called, T- she's not called, that's her name. Her name is Tish Oxenreiter. Her blog is called The Art of Simple. And she encourages people to take the Enneagram and the Strengths Finder. So I did the Enneagram um, and just have been completely fascinated. I'm, you know, walking up to all my friends and family and forcing them to take the test on their phone while I sit there and watch them because I'm like, I want to know what your Enneagram is. So I am a one with a two wing, which, hold your applause, is also Hillary Clinton's Enneagram. She makes me so proud. Um, but it's, it's, they call it the servant leader. Like it's, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, very motivated by, um, despite my love of nuance rules and sort of principles, but because I'm a two wing, I really want, I'm relationship driven and I really want people to sort of, there to be harmony among the relationships in my life and for people to like me. So I think it describes me pretty well. And using those things I always find is very interesting to sort of think about yourself in a different way and look at um, other people's strategies for dealing with some of the issues you might have. So big fan of the Enneagram. Feel free to show tell us on Facebook what y'all's Enneagrams are, especially if any of you are one with two wings. So I am a two for days on the Enneagram. I think you're a two with a one wing for real. It, it could be. I um, have spent a lot of time thinking about this and working on some of the things that are challenges for twos. So as a two, it's very important to me that other people um, kind of see me, right, and understand Mm -hmm. me. And that has also become a problematic aspect of my existence. Um, And so the work of a two in the world is to just kind of get comfortable with being the lover of yourself, right, so that you Mm -hmm. don't seek that from other people. And especially so that when you don't find it, you don't become kind of cynical and manipulative and um, decide that the world can't understand you. So you're just going to try to finesse your way through it. And so um, I think the Enneagram is like one of those things that holds up a really hard and accurate mirror as you work through it. And so it's been a helpful tool for me. And, um, and, and also you can find some nice things about yourself. But I think that if you dive into the Enneagram, I would recommend like being ready to really get real about some hard things because it's 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 not for the faint of heart yeah and if any of you are also personality junkers junkies and you have other personality tests you like pass them along because i love that stuff and i could do it all day long well thanks for joining us for another episode we will hope to see you on facebook at pantsuit politics on twitter at pantsuit politic you can go to our website pantsuitpoliticsshow.com um email us stay in touch uh, our listeners are amazing and we're looking forward to talking with you on friday until then keep it nuanced y'all